Let us go to God in prayer. Living God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fling wide the doors of our hearts this day as we hear your word of life, that we, too, may open our lives to serve your world in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first reading for this morning comes from the last book of the Bible, Revelation. The first verse, well, verse 10 of chapter 21, and then skipping ahead to chapter or uh, 22. Um, well, the verses are written there. It's, I said it wrong, but you can read the verses yourself there. Page 1086 of the Bibles in front of you. Listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. And in the Spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down, of, down out of heaven from God. And skipping ahead to verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Thank you, Donald. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Word of the Lord. Our Gospel reading is the Gospel according to John, chapter 14, verses 23 through 29. You can find it on page 939 of the Bibles in front of you. Listen for what the Spirit has to say to the church. 
Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. The word of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our salvation. May your Spirit come upon us in fullness and in power that we may hear what you have to say to each and every one of us today. Amen. Before we get started, I must warn you, there are uh, spoilers for the Lord of the Rings in this sermon. Uh, but you can't get mad at me because the book's been out for 60 years and the movies have been out for 10 years. You've had plenty of time to familiarize yourself with the source material here. With that said, I think you would be hard pressed to find a more enduring and influential piece of 20th century fiction than the saga that is the Lord of the Rings. The epic tale of good versus evil plays out against the continent of Middle-earth is one that has inspired and thrilled readers, moviegoers, and authors alike over the last 60 or 70 years. And Middle-earth mythology, Gandalf the Grey is a member of an order of wizards sent to help Middle-earth in its fight against evil. In the first book, the first movie, Gandalf seeks the counsel of the leader of these wizards, Saruman the White, only to discover that he fell prey to the corrupting influence of the One Ring, an object of immense power and evil. Gandalf manages to escape this confrontation, and he acts as a guide for the fellowship of the ring who are themselves tasked with destroying this object of power, this object of evil. At the end of the fellowship of the ring, those of you who are familiar with the story will know that Gandalf falls to what seems to be his death. He falls through fire and water and he strikes his enemy down and he lies down ready to die only to be reborn. We encounter him again 
early in the second book when he encounters several of the story's heroes in a forest and he's gleaming white. They mistake him for Saruman. They're ready to fight him. They're not, they're not far off with a gleam in his eye and a, a slight smile at the corner of his mouth. Gandalf says, well, I am Saruman. Or rather, Saruman as he should have been. In several, several of his letters, Paul develops the idea of Jesus as the second Adam. In many ways, Jesus is Adam as he should have been. Paul writes that Adam, the first man, a living being, a nefesh in Hebrew, he was formed from the dust of the earth, though he was imperfect. Adam was given a life-giving spirit, the ruach in Hebrew, received from God, the spirit that animates him, the spirit that makes him who he is. And yet, through Adam, sin entered through the world. Through Adam, all of humanity sins. In contrast, Jesus is the second Adam, the last Adam. Whereas Adam was animated by a life-giving spirit, Jesus is a life-giving spirit, granting new life to all who come to him. While Adam is of the dust, Jesus is of heaven. Whereas Adam brought death and condemnation, Jesus brought life and freedom from that condemnation. Jesus was Adam as he should have been. Jesus was in full relationship with God. Jesus was not marred by sin. Jesus was Adam as he should have been. In the same way, or in a similar way, here, towards the end of John's vision, we see a glimpse of creation as it was meant to be. Not the way it turned out, but how it was meant to be. John's vision draws strong parallels to the creation account in Genesis of Eden. He draws a contrast between the lost paradise of Eden and the restored paradise of the new Jerusalem. It's worth noting that, like the whole of John's revelation, this vision is steeped in metaphor. Everything that John describes is a metaphor for something that is beyond our understanding. We're not talking about a literal New Jerusalem. This New Jerusalem symbolizes something that we cannot even begin to understand. There are layers of meaning throughout John's revelation that we cannot possibly get into this morning. We would be here all day. It's like an onion 
layer, layer, layer. So we'll keep it simple for this morning. And John's vision, he says, there is no temple in this city. Instead, in the center of the city is the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. Like in the Garden of Eden, God physically inhabits the same space as God's people. Rather than walking through the gardens like we see in Genesis, God sits at the center of the New Jerusalem where all can see the throne, where all may approach it. Gone is the temple that served as the intermediary between God and God's people. That curtain has been torn, a new world has been created. The symbol of God's presence throughout human history has been replaced by the physical presence of God. No longer do we need a symbol of God's presence. For God sits in the center. Creation is made new. It's made as it should be. And John's vision, a river flows from the throne of God. John says that the river is crystal clear, free of impurities and providing life to all who drink of it. The connection is clear to the river that flowed through Eden, providing for and sustaining life for the great garden. And the new Jerusalem, the river that flows from the throne and the Lamb, provides life. It is the literal source of all life. And creation is as it's meant to be. In John's vision, twelve trees grow along the river, bearing fruit to feed all the peoples of the nations, bearing leaves for the healing of the nations. If we remember back to the Garden of Eden, we'll remember that the trees that are filled with good fruit line the garden, fruit that is to be eaten. Again, the river of life which flows from the throne of God, the throne of life, provides life for the people of God. These trees provide the life-giving food that make up the heavenly feast. A feast that this table represents. In John's vision, creation is as it should be. Hunger is no more. Thirst is no more. Suffering is no more. In John's vision, creation is as it should be. This table here represents that creation. It represents the creation where there is no more hunger. It represents the creation where there is no more thirst, where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering. This table represents the creation as it should have been, as it should be. This table represents the grace that we have 
in Jesus Christ. This is the Lord's table. It sits in a Presbyterian church, to be sure. But it is the Lord's table prepared for us who live in a world that is not as it should be. It is prepared for us who are not as we should be. Yet it is prepared for us all the same. This is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it represents the grace that we have through Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God for that.